1981, Roger Moore's Bond returned to his Cold War spy roots in this action thriller directed by John Glenn that follows 007 as he's dispatched to recover a top-secret military device before it falls into the hands of the Russians. This mission is for your eyes only. Good evening, 003. The following is for your ears only and is classified above top secret by Her Majesty's Secret Service. Our contact with the We Can Make This Work, probably, podcast network intercepted an encrypted audio message regarding podcasters assembled. For this season, the podcast network is looking to recruit field operatives from around the world to reminisce about the Bond movies and a countdown to the latest film in the franchise, No Time to Die. Your primary objective is to infiltrate podcasters assemble by recording and uploading your submissions at probablywork.com, utilizing a two-way communications device with a built-in microphone, the latest from QBranch. For a full mission report, go to probablywork.com. We're all counting on you, 003. Eric Slater here from Epic Fails of History, and too young for this trek. This is Justin Aki, graphic designer and one half of Significant Autico. This is Troidal Power. This is MC. From the best animated shows ever. So far. Yo, this is Corey Torgerson from the upcoming podcast, The World is My Burrito. Today I'm going to be talking about For Your Eyes Only. For Your Eyes Only. For Your Eyes Only. The Tomb Raider origin story. Nineteen eighty one's For Your Eyes Only is the twelfth film in the 007 series, and is very loosely based on the Ian Fleming short story, as well as characters and elements from Risico. About ten years ago I set out to watch every Bond film just to experience the franchise, and yet somehow I have never seen this one. It turns out a lot of these Roger Moore era Bond movies all kind of blend together for me. I don't have a lot of distinct memories about what's in each one. So if you ask me what was in For Your Eyes Only, there's a part where he looks at a file and it says For Your Eyes Only on it. That's pretty much all I remember before the movie starts playing. I love the folder. <laughs> I think that's a great way to kind of work in the title. Not every Roger Moore film is as bad as I recall, but I still have to give a lot of leeway to previous movies. This movie is actually pretty enjoyable. It is somehow equal parts relaxing and exciting, and I feel like it never really goes off the deep end. So once again, I have to call out that this movie opens with solid gun barrel sequence. Okay, this movie opens with Bond visiting Tracy's grave. The cold open in this one begins with Bond finally mourning over the death of Tracy. You remember Tracy, his wife? Which is a straight conundrum, and I think most interesting part of this movie. They even put a real birth and death dates of her, putting this movie at a solid 12 years after her death. Since her age is listed as well, it would put her at 26 when she passed. It means 12 years after her death. Now, let's assume that Bond was 30 when he got married. Does Roger Moore look 42 in this movie? No. No, he does not. So now we have to figure out how old Roger Moore is in a Bond movie. I'm not going to consider that Roger Moore was 54 when this movie came out, but let's assume Bond was a little older in this movie. Maybe he's 50? Some things, I don't know. He's seen some things. That means he was 38 when he was married to Tracy and broke Blofeld's neck. And now that I spent solid two minutes not even discussing this movie because the movie producers just gave us too much information. So this movie starts off with James Bond standing at the grave 
of Teresa Bond. And you would think this is going to set a tone for how the movie's going to go. Like, oh, we're, we're recalling the past, we're remembering that Bond was married once. But really, it's just a setup for the cold open because uh, Blofeld, if you remember, killed Teresa Bond way back in On, a, on Her Majesty's Secret Service. <sighs> is Blofeld really back? And uh, he's back now, and Bond's in a helicopter that gets taken over by Blofeld with remote control. And we get Blofeld's best death trap yet. And he flies it all over the place, and he could crash through the helicopter very easily, but he doesn't. He flies it around for, like, I don't know, 63 minutes. I was actually surprised just how well this helicopter sequence held up. Speaking of Blofeld, we have the fakest-looking non-Blofeld trying to murder James with a remote-control helicopter console. Now, I'm not going to dig how ridiculous this whole scene is, but we can't point out that Blofeld usually has henchmen, and somebody obviously drove the handicap van for him to have that whole console, and the wheelchair, and help him get to the third story of a disused factory. Did they just leave him? Does he have to call the special city number to come pick him up after he kills Bond? Until Bond figures out how to detach the remote control settings, and then he picks up Blofeld, who's in a wheelchair now, for reasons that I don't think we have any idea why. Uh, and he picks him up in the wheelchair. Yo, did we really just do a wheelchair chase scene? And Bond could arrest Blofeld, you know, international terrorist, but instead he um, murders him by dropping him down a smokestack. Man, this is like a good bit of closure. I needed that. I'm telling you, that cat is behind it all. The theme song for this one's fine. It's weird that you actually see the singer in the credits. I think this is the first time we've seen someone like actually singing the theme song in the credits. I really like the use of color here. That's a little strange. I think this is the first intro where we can not only clearly see a woman, but also the singer. And the title sequence that goes with it isn't that bad either. Anyway, after the wee intro, we get a pretty weak song by Sheena Easton. For your eyes only. I guess the song's fine. It's pretty 80s, and the singer is in the video, but it feels like a precursor to MTV. But I, it to me is the song, the Bond song that feels the most like it could just be a top 40 song like it just it just sounds like a pop song so i know the song's cheesy and it's very 80s it's pretty 80s but i actually really like this song anyways i hate it i still think some of the silhouettes are a bit much you know less is more wow that was uh that was really suggestive the woman pole dancing on the barrel of the gun wtf people So in this opening sequence, we have a fishing boat that's actually an undercover British operation uh, in the Ionian Sea, which is north of the Mediterranean Sea off the coast of Greece and Italy. The inciting incident for this movie is the um, uh, destruction of a boat. Oh shit, it's a mine. That on the outside appears to be your normal everyday, you know, fishing boat, but inside it's secret high-tech bond stuff. The sideways elevator in a fishing trolley is pretty cool, but I feel like that takes up a lot of otherwise useful space. The movie then continues on a spy ship disguised as a fishing boat with a solid radar spy system going on, but it gets blown up very shortly after that and the crew members are unable to destroy a super secret targeting system. This whole setup seems a bit much. 
at first I thought they were like in Russian waters or something. I feel like that would have made a little bit more sense, considering the plot. Maybe using an operational fishing vessel, potentially filled with unqualified workers, as your base of operations wasn't the best idea. And apparently it had a, a small keyboard inside of this boat that can be used to give instructions to Britain's nuclear subs. I love how the high-tech device looks like the most retro computer I've ever seen. It looks like one of those like cheap cash registers. And so they have to find it because otherwise the Russians are going to get it and be able to have Britain's subs nuke Britain? Or maybe each other? So basically, long story short, the Russians are after this, this, uh, this device. Uh, aboard the sunken British ship, which apparently helps them coordinate their Polaris submarines. I guess? I actually really like this plot. It's a classic Cold War spy mission where the two factions are after a MacGuffin. And compared to the last several movies, this feels like a more low-stakes mission compared to a lot of the previous films, but it also feels a lot more real. This feels like something that could happen, or in fact probably has happened in the real world. The Brits get the info, as well as General Gogol, though he's in a weird stall in his office. Seriously, that's a weird room. He puts some things in motion, which includes using an assassin with an armed flying water taxi. So the Russian guy refers to our friend in Greece, who we're kind of led to believe is Columbo. I love that Money Penny has a secret makeup station just to put on makeup for Bond. What? Even Money Penny has gadgets? The main Bond girl in this movie is Melina, and she's pretty cool from uh, moment one. Uh, unfortunately, moment two of Melina is her parents getting just brutally murdered on their boat. They're treasure hunters, you see, and uh, a plane comes in and swoops by and just kills everybody on board because it turns out they were looking for that sunken ship. So we meet the main Bond chick of the movie, Melina, who saves his ass after getting revenge on the dick who killed her parents, I think. We get to meet the Bond girls at this stage, Melina Havelock, played by French actress Carol Bouquet, but we don't know much about her yet. An attractive daughter with long brown hair summoned to observe temples, whose parents were murdered? This isn't just a Bond girl, this is Lara Croft. Um, so Melina becomes Batman after the death of her parents. Bond is sent to track down the assassin, who's Cuban, and living in a Miami Vice-style palace in Spain. So Bond heads to Spain. Bond and Melina both end up at the same uh, palatial Spanish estate, trying to find out more about who shot up the boat and just trying to find a lead, basically. This is the second of my rants in this movie. The movie leaves a Miami Vice pool party, but 10 minutes down the road, they're picking chestnuts. That clearly puts it at late autumn in Spain, which, going by the ski scenes later in the movie, sure, they might be able to pull it off, but that guy is from Cuba and definitely not going swimming. My wife and I spent some time in November in Spain, and that place is cold. That guy with the AK is just happens to be suddenly distracted by one of these Playboy bunnies at the right moment. I'm telling you, Bond has luck powers. He's like Domino or Longshot from Marvel Comics. Bond tries sneaking into the compound, where he's about to be killed, but boom, the bad guy is shot in the back by an arrow. 
So the pool scene has now been interrupted and everyone is running for their lives. Uh, bad guy locks up his briefcase, runs away. His crony follows behind and straight up steals a few bucks from the nearest chick sitting in a chair. I guess you gotta make money wherever you can. Bond escapes, running into the assassin's killer, and it's Melina with a crossbow. But they have to haul ass, and Bond's car gets blown up because of the worst lowjack system ever. Um, when they have to escape, but Bond's car has a anti-burglar device on it, which blows up the car, which is not a good anti-burglar device. I really like the Lotus in this one. It's not very inconspicuous, though. Bond rolls up in a straight-up Lotus. When does he get an Aston Martin back? I miss that car. I cannot get over the guys breaking into the Lotus Esprit. They do this fairly long hold on a sticker that says burglar protected. And then the guy like busts the window in and it just straight up explodes. And I feel like that's probably not the best kind of theft deterrent, but it is very effective. Instead of a car alarm, when someone tries to break into Bond's car, it just blows up. Uh, so to make their escape, they have to take Melina's car, which is, uh, I had to look it up. It is a, a beetle Citroen 2CV. It is a little yellow car that is adorable and might be my favorite car in the Bond franchise. I want to have this car. I'm seriously considering buying this car. I've looked it up. You can get them. I'm into it. There are two whole underutilized Lotuses in this movie. But this Citroën do Chevaux is the coolest car in the movie. It is literally a sardine can with an engine that can fit in your hand. And it has the best chase scene. They take Melina's car, a bright yellow Citroën, which I'll be honest, that thing can take a beating. Seriously. In the following chase, they fall down, roll over, end over end down hills, make slow speed turns. They have to push start it, they have to roll it back over, and it still runs. That car chase is great. Absolutely bonkers, but great. It was fun. Oh, and I did enjoy when Melina laughs at Bond's dumb joke during the chase. He says, I do love a good drive through the country. See, that's a good one-liner, Bond. So Bond and Melina have managed to escape in a ridiculous chase scene in her little yellow car. At one point when Bond and Melina are talking, he says, the Chinese have a saying. Before setting out for revenge, one should dig two graves. Melina replies, Greek women like Electra always avenge their loved ones. And then Bond and Melina just part ways. Uh, she goes off somewhere and Bond heads back to Q Labs. I really love Q's lab in this one. Probably my favorite gadget. While Bond is walking through Q's laboratory, there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes on, but there's a killer umbrella that when it gets wet, has spikes shoot out of it and then it closes down on the person um i thought that was really cool i think q is still grumpy with bond over that lotus from the spy who loved me i'm getting real worried about q branch why do you need a mechanical cast arm that crushes faces or umbrellas that crush faces what scenario are you preparing for bond gets to use q with the only gadget in the film, an identigraph, which what in the living Tron hell is that terrible computer graphics, even for that era? So they have an, an identigraph, I believe is what it's called, which is basically a little 3D model of a plastic man's face that they then tweak and modify until they make it into something recognizable or something horrific, a la Monster Factory. <laughs> 
this scene with Q doing a perp sketch on this like Apple Mac computer is amazing. This movie accurately replicates the amount of time spent making your Nintendo me. And uh, they use this to create a face of the man that Bond's going to hunt down for the majority of the movie. But it apparently can throw all that information at every computer system operating at the time and get you a real person. That's pretty neat. I just don't understand why the room needed to be red for some reason. So Bond heads to Switzerland? No, Italy. Wait, I'm confused. I don't remember how Bond ends up in a snow-covered place. I don't know, somewhere in the Alps, maybe? But he's there. We once again get a brand new Lotus, this time in red. My favorite vehicle is, of course, the Lotus uh, that you see Bond get. It's first introduced in Q's um, laboratory. And then later on, of course, Bond is driving it. Bond meets his contact Luigi in the mountains of Italy. They meet at an Olympic ice skating rink with uh, Greek Anglophile Christados, also known as Uncle Harry. And there's this guy who you look at him and you say, well, you must be a villain. And he's like, oh, Mr. Bond, I'm totally a good guy. And you're like, "Uh uh-huh, sure, I believe you, buddy. Um, yeah. And BB Doll, uh, the barely legal blonde bimbo? Yikes. So, I'm not sure if she's an ally or a love interest, but, uh, BB Doll is, uh, figure stayer, and she's very forward, and she is hiding who she actually is from her uncle. So that, that, that's... Probably my favorite side character. We also meet BB here. BB is the maybe the niece, or maybe just like the future concubine of the guy who'll end up being the villain, and she really wants to have sex with Bond. Bond heads back to his hotel, but notices that Melina is in Italy, buying a crossbow. So, does Melina only use crossbows? But she's attacked by some ice biker guys, which Bond helps defeat and takes her on a sled ride back to the hotel. These Yamaha XT500 dirt trackers with the ice spikes are the best! So Bond and Melina have this really sweet scene in the sleigh, but right after this romantic scene, Bond finds BB taking a shower in his room before jumping into bed naked and asking him to join her. Where BB tries to seduce Bond. Gross. She's very forward. Well, that escalated quickly. I mean, at least she's coming on to him, so it's a little less creepy, I, I guess. The scene with BB trying to convince Bond to sleep with her is already creepy enough as is, but I find it especially suspicious that a guy who can take down a full-grown man with a single karate chop to the stomach can't stop this tiny girl from giving him a kiss. Jesus, she's supposed to be like 22 in this movie, but she plays so young. She has a super crush on Bond, and then a crush on the obviously East German serial killer. I just think this girl wants to get some. She just likes guys. Usually skater chicks date hockey dudes. She also really wants to have sex with this uh, German uh, biathlon uh, dude who's real good on skis and is shooting, and also is a hitman who's there to try to murder Bond, which leads to a ski chase down the side of a mountain, just like on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Another ski chase? 
Once again, I wonder if this movie's trying to call back to On Her Majesty's Secret Service, if this is like an intentional thing it's doing. I'm not sure. After taking Baby out to see the biathlon, one of the longest chase scenes ever. I still think it's going on. Don't pay attention, it might go away. But seriously, the main bad guy looks like an evil James Spader. They have the East German guy who looks generic. The motorcycles have machine guns. Bond goes down a giant ski jump. This chase is long. We establish that Eric Kriegler is an exceptional marksman, and then he immediately goes to snipe Bond. And I love that he can shoot the pistol out of Bond's hand and then shoot it away from Bond again, but he cannot shoot Bond's big fat face beside that tree. You ever been so mad that you threw a motorcycle? I haven't, but Kriegler has. Also, they killed Bond's contact, Green Mario. BB says, farewell, but not goodbye. And if that ain't the most someone is about to die phrase I've heard, I don't know what is. Right after that, Bond goes to tell BB goodbye, but hockey players from Hill try and take him out. So Bond fights a bunch of hockey players on the ice without skates. He takes on three hockey players in our ice rink at one stage. And then he steals a Zamboni. And he actually takes out someone with a Zamboni. The thing is so slow. So then we have Bond going to Greece, where he has a date with Melina. Uh, Bond at the casino, where he meets Christados. I just realized he's the dude from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. You know, the guy who chooses poorly? So after talking to the guy who's clearly the villain but is pretending to be a good guy, Bond gets sent off to track down a former colleague of that guy's. Bond goes to Greece to meet up with his ally Christos, ending up at a casino where he's playing Baccarat at a million drachma a game. The drachma at the time would have been worth about $18,111, which today is worth $51,084.18. Bond has dinner with Christos, who points out the guy they are after, Milos Colombo, having a fight with his mistress. Oh, side note, Christos says he was from Kefalonia. That's the island from Assassin's Creed Odyssey. That's pretty cool. Anyway, Milos has the table lamp switched out for a new candle, and he finds out who's on to him. After spending the night with the mistress, Bond is captured by Milos, who tells him that Bond is wrong and that Christos is the bad guy? Oh no! Whomever could have facial hair and be evil? Bad guy says... This other guy is totally a bad guy. And Bond goes, oh, okay. And he tracks him down. He gets on his boat. Bond finally meets Columbo. And that guy says, no, 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 no. The guy that you were talking about is a bad guy. Probably my favorite villain moment is when Christos, he is setting up another smuggler to take the fall for him. He's setting up Columbo. And I think he does a fairly good job. Christados is the double agent. Except the other bad guy, uh, Columbo, finds out and... He essentially turns James onto Christos's uh, plans. He chose poorly. And Bond's like, oh, okay. And then he's like, hey, listen, you know how I'm going to prove it to you? Uh, we're going to break into a warehouse he owns. And that will help me prove that he's a bad guy. So Bond and Columbo storm Christado's base. And murder everybody there. Bond recognizes a wacky aquatic suit inside this warehouse. I bet that's not foreshadowing. Bond helps out on a raid on a warehouse for Christos, but evil James Spader gets away. And eventually they do see the bespeckled man that Bond has been trying to find, so I guess that proves that... 
the guy he was working with is actually a bad guy. But up until then, Bond doesn't know that. So he's just like joining this man in an act of piracy, attacking a warehouse and murdering everybody there on faith, I guess. Bond murders a lot of people in this one. So after blowing up the warehouse, Bond ends up chasing down the bespeckled man. The dove escapes, blows up the warehouse, then hops in a car. Bond also manages to escape, chasing behind on foot. There is no way that he catches up to that car on foot. Bond does about 40 weeks of cardio running up some steps. Did anyone else find the seeds of Bond slowly running up that long ass staircase to be pretty hilarious? I mean, they put a lot of time on that. I love how it keeps cutting back and forth between the car hauling ass and then Bond slowly struggling up this, <laughs> slowly struggling up the stairs panting. The car crashes and the guy's like teetering on the edge of a cliff and Bond goes up and he's standing right at the edge of the, the car and then he just kicks the car over down a hillside. Eventually killing the henchman, kicking his car over the edge of a cliff. He has no head for heights. After chasing him for the whole film, he catches up to Locke, throws a pendant at him and then slowly just nudges his car off a cliff and murders him bond kicking over the dove's car is another great example of a really cool cold kill after it's kicked off the cliff it rolls down the side and a body flies out right there towards the end which is a little detail that i really appreciate you get to see the body flung from the vehicle rather than a quick cut showing the body magically being there after kicking the car off the cliff, he says, had no head for heights. Wh what? So at this point in the movie, everything's going pretty well. I'm liking it quite a bit. And then they go scuba diving again. Okay, yes, we do have another underwater scene in this movie. Why? But these are some of the most gorgeous underwater shots I've ever seen. Why do the makers of the James Bond movies think that scuba diving is so cool? So Bond and Molina take the Neptune sub to the shipwreck. That sub looks awesome. But the thought of suiting up and getting out of the sub with less than eight minutes of air really stresses me out. I'm going to put aside the complete lack of decay in these submerged bodies in the destroyed ship, but Molina has literally killed people and is somehow now scared of dead bodies. So they find the boat, they find the ATAC machine, this fancy keyboard. Bon and Moline are both there scuba diving, but the bad guys have found the boat too. When they switch to the perspective of someone sneaking in behind Bond and Molina, I began to really appreciate this set. And so you know somebody's coming to get them, and then you start hearing in the background. Dunna. Dunna. Dunna, 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 dunna. And you're like, oh God, it's the Jaws music. Is it gonna be Jaws? And the door bursts open and there's a giant man in a giant scuba diving suit and it's not Jaws. Bond and Lena investigate the ship her father died trying to find. And they get out the ATEC machine, but are interrupted by a diver deep sea ocean suit who gets a thermite charge to the face. <laughs> the dude in the clunky mech suit. Oh snap, it's a big daddy. I've played enough Bioshock to know where this is going. Bond and Melina make it back to their sub, but are attacked by a smaller, more deadly submarine for some sub-on-sub crime. I gotta say, all this underwater stuff is like, is it, it's a big step up from Thunderball. Why?
As soon as they get back to their ship, they are captured by Christos. And of course, instead of killing them with a gunshot to the head, he ties them to the boat and drives off. Did anyone did anyone read Live and Let Die? Because this whole tied together, being dragged behind a boat thing is definitely taken from Live and Let Die, the book. One thing I really do like here is that um, they borrow the death trap from the uh, novelization of Live and Let Die. I totally didn't realize they kind of do the ending of the Live and Let Die book here, with Bond and the woman being dragged through a coral reef. This didn't happen in the Live and Let Die movie, but it's straight from the book where uh, the bad guy ties Bond and the girl to a rope hanging off the back of a ship and then uh, just drives his ship back and forth over a coral reef to cut them all up and get them all bloody so the sharks come and eat them. <laughs> Bond's all cracking jokes about the shark. There's a time and a place, buddy. Hey, that's cool. I think it's one of the best and most realistic death traps in the series. Could have just shot him. But you didn't. And then they managed to, like, cut their hands off, like, the ropes off their hands and then tie a rope around the thing so it screws the boat up. And then Topol has a world-class sniper on board, but somehow thinks he's going to run over a very conscious Bond and Molina in the water that they can go under. Then he just accepts that they're probably dead and leaves. And when they disappear, Christos assumes they're dead. What, dude? Really? The bad guy's like, that's fine, they're probably dead, which is a stupid thing for a villain to do. As we head into the last half hour or so of this movie, you're thinking, ah, here comes the big action scene, and, well, the big action scene is going to be set on Big Rock, TM. Bond, Molina, and Colombo take on Cristado's monastery base. Uh, you see the villain has somehow procured a church on top of Big Rock, TM, and he's going to have the Russians come meet him there in order to sell them the ATAC device. So uh, Bond and his Greek pirate friend and also Melina are all going to have to climb up Big Rock, TM in order to stop the villain, except for it doesn't make sense to have everybody climb up Big Rock, TM. So Bond climbs up it all by himself. Anyone could probably have climbed the side of that mountain Big Rock TM in the time this film showed Bond doing it. I never thought Bond rock climbing could be so intense. And then when they get up to the top of Big Rock TM, he lowers an elevator down to bring everyone else up, and then there's like some fisticuffs and they beat the bad guys. And that's the action scene. The big action scene at the end of For Your Eyes Only is watching James Bond climb up a big rock. TM. And then we get a scene with Cristados being all creepy with BB doll. I guess he's not really her uncle. Side note, BB and her teacher are here. Dude, Christos, you brought her along to your deal for international arms? Whatever. Bond and the Rowdy Boys take all this time to sneak into this complex only to get into a fist fight at the very end. Like, what was the purpose of sneaking in if you're just going to make noise at the last second? When they do stop the bad guy, it's important to note here. <sighs> they've got, they, they've beaten him and he's, oh, he's such a villain and he killed Batman Molina's parents and so Batman Molina's going to get revenge. And James Bond, who has just like 
heartlessly murdered countless people throughout this movie, goes, no, Melina, that's not the way. And doesn't murder the guy. And then I think the Greek pirate guy murders him or something. But Bond's like, no, don't murder. Murder's bad, even though I just murdered so many people in this movie. So Columbo kills Christados before Melina can have her revenge. Bond defeats Christos, and when General Gogol comes by with the ATAC, Bond throws it off the edge of a cliff. Dente, General. Gogol's cool, though. He knows how the game is played. I like this non-violent ending. It sticks out, certainly, a lot from all the mass destruction that we've had. I mean, they did just kill a couple of people in the complex, but for the final boss to come up and you just kind of disable him by disabling yourself like eh cool all right see you later buddy bond tosses the high-tech device off the cliff and the russian guy laughs and walks off and bond is once again on a boat with a woman and of course bond ends up on a boat with a girl but for some weird reason q the minister and bill tanner are trying to get a call from bond and margaret thatcher Fun comedy moment, but it's weird. Also, the actress that was known at the time for her impersonation, so I'm guessing they were just shoehorning in some current events. I really enjoyed Carol Bouquet as a Bond girl. I think her story was a lot cooler than most others. It was certainly expounded upon a little bit more than most of the other Bond girls we've had so far. Um, Yeah, she might she might be my top Bond girl. Uh, it depends on how I feel when I actually reach my top Bond girl. So I really like Melina in this movie. I think she's one of the best Bond women in the series. She's not just hot. She's not just there for her looks. She's a really good character. She's a badass. But she's also hot. Like really hot. Melina is very cute, but she's a very bland Bond girl. Sure, she can kill, and she has that whole fire-in-her-blood thing, but I didn't find myself thinking about her after this movie was over. In fact, I don't think she screwed anything up for Bond. She was just never helpless, really. So all in all, I really do think that For Your Eyes Only might be the best Roger Moore movie. I'm not ashamed to say that I actually really enjoyed this one. And not in like a so bad it was good kind of way, like I did with Moonraker. Bond is pretty dark in this one. I know Roger Moore thought kicking the bad guy's car at the top of the cliff was not him, but I enjoyed that Bond was able to take revenge sometimes. I just found a uh, an article on theguardian.com called James Bond Body Count, How Many People Died in Each Film. Um, so I just want to let you know real quick the, the stats here for, uh, for, for your eyes only. Um, this is a Roger Moore Bond film, of course, 1981. And Bond killed 18 people in this movie and tells Melina not to kill the guy who murdered her parents after he killed 18 people. Some of them on the word of a Greek pirate that they were worth killing. Podcasters Assemble Season 003 is a production of the We Can Make This Work Probably Podcast Network. Find more of our shows at probablywork.com and learn how to contribute to future episodes of Podcasters Assemble by looking us up on Twitter at Casters Assemble or joining our Discord server, link in the show notes. Submissions are always open. Thank you to everyone who was able to contribute to this episode. 
Be sure to check the show notes for links where you can find them all online. Thank you. This has been a presentation of the We Can Make This Work Probably Network. Follow us on Twitter at Probably Work for more of our questionable content. Also, we have a website called ProbablyWork.com. James Bond and Podcasters Assemble will return in the movie that it's a damn shame they didn't get Sean Connery back for, Octopussy. James Bond will return in Octopussy. I got a question. Does MI6, sorry, does MI6, (laughs) does MI6 cover collateral damage like that? Like, is there a cleanup crew that comes in after Bond and like repairs all this stuff? Ugh, that poor flower shop. Get your chases, hot chases, cars chasing cars, skis chasing skis, motorcycles chasing skis, skis chasing bobsleds, helicopters chasing wheelchairs, dune buggies chasing people, people chasing cars. We got your chases. Oh, it's uh, it's what's his face, uh, Papa Lannister. Uh, what's his name? You know the guy from Game of Thrones. Tywin is that his name? Charles Dance, that's it. Baby was a terrible character. Cute, but in a creepy way. Papa Lannister got killed with an arrow? Again? At least he wasn't on the crapper this time.